<laughs> hey, welcome everybody to Bible and Banter. It is Mike and Eric. Uh, we're happy to join you on location from sunny North Carolina and um, dark and dreary Maine. Actually, it's very sunny today, and we are in the midst of a heat wave. It was like 95 yesterday, and today it's 90 and humid and uncomfortable. Wow. And uh, air conditioners are working overtime. <clears throat> Do you guys even have air conditioners up there? Yes, but they have to be installed for only part of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how it was when I lived in Mass. Like, we don't, yeah. we only have window units. Not many people had, or at least not many people that I knew had central air. Some did, but yeah. not not like everyone. Uh, but here, like living in North Carolina, everywhere has central air. Like the church that I was at, Oak Hill, in Oxford, Massachusetts, did not have any air conditioning. Yeah. Um, and then here, like I walked in and we have central AC and heat, and it's like, man, this is incredible. Yeah. But no, it's uh, needed. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I, I hate Facebook. I, I really want to get rid of it, but it's pluses and minuses, but, uh, someone in our local area that had a, uh, somewhat of a connection with our church was lamenting how they saw a homeless person coming up from a trail with all their belongings and how she felt awful, you know, in this type of heat. And then their comment was, I just wish churches would open up their buildings, you know, to be like cooling. Cause the water, Waterville police department said there's no cooling places in Waterville, because it used to be the library, but the library doesn't let anybody in right now because of COVID um, mm -hmm. and everything. And my, my initial reaction was like, you're not necessarily wrong. But then my sinful side was like, you have chosen not to be part of the church. Why are you telling us what we should do? <laughs> and how many churches have air conditioning anyway? And that's the other piece is most churches, unless they've been repurposed from another use like a church has moved into an old movie theater or bowling alley or whatever if we were to open up just our church building they, they would be out of luck because we don't have anything except ceiling mm -hmm. fans and our other building we could open up but at the same time you're just not going to open it up for people to wander around you'd need people to mm -hmm. kind of be there to staff it and that's the number one thing i mean if we can barely have people show up to attend sunday services are they really going to show up to babysit um, people who just need to cool down. Yeah. Carolyn, uh, just shared like her church is in the same boat. They 100%. Yeah. And I, and that's just the difference between the Northeast and like other places. It, mm -hmm. It's because you're talking about if you're going to install central air, it's get, for depending on the size of your facility, it's going to cost tens of thousands. And, mm -hmm. and it could be even more than tens of thousands, right? It could yeah. be, um, several tens of thousands. Could be mm -hmm. over a hundred thousand dollars. So, yep. um, and and depending on your church, you might that might be a valid expense or not. But if you're only using your facility one or two days out of the week, then it, to me that's not necessarily a wise use of funds. However, again, at my church, I mean, it's kind of it gets so hot for so long down here. It's kind of a requirement. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, because a few years ago, we were wrestling with what to do with heating and everything. We looked into heat pumps, but the problem we had with the idea of heat pumps were was, A, heat pumps don't do necessarily that great at really cold temperatures because they're trying to pull heat in. So, like, if mm -hmm. it's under 30 degrees, it, it, it's hit or miss of whether or not they're going to heat well. 
Um, mm -hmm. Although that may be changing after all these years of heat pumps growing in popularity and technology. But the reality is we would need two for our sanctuary, but they would only cool and heat the sanctuary. The rest of the building and classrooms, we'd need separate heat pumps for all of those. Mm -hmm. So really, the it would have really be worth the investment. Yeah. Uh, but heat pumps are a really popular thing up here that people are going with. Yeah. Now, one interesting thing, like that, I think if if air conditioning was super important. So, I, I've spoke with a few people like about church planting, right? And and before I came down down here, um, I had given a lot of thought to church planting, and and personally, I feel convicted of wanting to support church planting and replanting as much as possible. But there are, like, to me if I were planning a church or like coaching someone who, who was thinking about going through the process, the last thing I would do is for them like consider, Hey, go buy a building. Right. But if you could like use a facility, like a, a hall of some sort, um, many of those have air conditioning. Right. Yep. So, so that, uh, that's also a possibility. Yep. yep. Absolutely. The more, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I'm like, and I, I don't say this seriously. So anybody listening from my church, I, I've thought about like just selling it all and just renting a storefront or mm -hmm. something like that, because of just the I, the reality of property maintenance and insurances and all of this stuff is is uh, a huge drain on the budget. Yeah, I think you know our church. Like we, we've had, we've given considerable thought as to how to use our facility in more meaningful ways that include the community. Um, so, so if you own a building, I would say like, that's, that's a necessary conversation to have. And that might take a couple of years to figure out and that's fine. But if, but if you have no intention of doing that and you're only using your facility as like a place w once a week, maybe twice a week. Um, and, and then as offices for, a small staff, maybe just a pastor and a administrative assistant. There are less expensive ways. Mm -hmm. There are less expensive ways to do ministry. Yeah. And, and I would, you know, there's two kind of thoughts that I've run into because we've wrestled with that as a church as well to some degree. And there, I find that there's two schools of thought. There's what I think you and I would agree on opening it up to the community means that we're not just handing them the keys here, rent our building, but we are going to, serve you with more than just offering you an open space. Mm -hmm. um, but there are those people that are like, we'll serve the community by renting it out or this, that, and the yeah. other thing. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on that bandwagon of uh, here's the keys, use it. And we'll, yeah. And I don't you. know that. I don't know that that's necessarily serving the community, right? right. Like rent right. it out for what? Or, for, or even just for, here, the keys, we're not going to charge you, but here we'll talk to you when you're done. Yeah. I'm not well, even one sure. One of the that, things yeah. I don't have I sh I don't know if I've shared here on on this broadcast, but we um we're in the midst of a, a pretty substantial building project, uh, close to half a million dollars here. Wow. Um, okay. We're building. Uh, we're like tripling the size of our playground uh, because where we're at, it's it's rural, but it's becoming more of a bedroom community for Raleigh. So like we in the next few years, we're gonna have um, our, our population is probably gonna quadruple like within a couple of miles of the church. Um, I think, I think someone told me it's either 750 or 1200 homes are going to be built within the next uh, five years right here, like within just yeah. two miles of the church. Wow. So like it's, it's blowing up man. 
blowing up. Um, mm-hmm. Right across the street are going to be a couple hundred homes, like literally across the street. Like I can look from my office and see where these homes are going to be built. Yeah. And, but there's no playgrounds. There's no playgrounds. Like you have to travel 20 to 30 minutes to the nearest playground um, outside of the one that we have. And it's, it's an okay playground. So what we've been talking about, like we had, we had a substantial money in the bank um, for, for a building project, but kind of the vision of the church has changed since that started. So we started looking at like, Hey, how can we best leverage mm-hmm. these funds that are earmarked for a building program f- to use for the community? So, so we're working on a playground, um, which actually should be. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, um, that a pavilion that um, would be open to use by anyone that we'd also use, but also a basketball court. And the idea, like I'm having some conversations with some of my deacons and we're hoping that at some point, maybe next year, we could like have a a summer league, like include, like we'd run a summer league with some of the local high schools um, in the evenings uh, during, you know, um, and, and to just provide that service there, but actually like, be a part of the community. Like, Hey, here's an Mm -hmm. outdoor league for you with the intention of helping your teams work together and improve for the season. Like we we want you to know we're here for you. And we have already some really good relationships. So I say that to say like, when we're looking that that's a way to leverage our facility to serve our community. Right. So you're linking arms doing side by side ministry with those in the community. Mm -hmm. You're not just saying, here's some property. We're going to open it up for you to use. We'll just make sure you don't break anything and clean up when you're done. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, But you mentioned Raleigh and I'm just wondering if you've experienced this. My wife sent me this uh, article real uh, or the headline venomous spitting cobra (laughs) on the loose in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a zebra cobra. Yeah. That has been all, Oh dude, I can't, that keeps popping up in my, yeah. So, um, yeah, I read that article. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. So that's not, that's not native to North Carolina. That's, that was like somebody's pet. Um, somebody's exotic pet. Because I'll tell you what, man, I saw the picture of it and I looked it up. Like I Googled what this was earlier today. And I, 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 I had this thought. I said, if this is native to North Carolina, I'm resigning today. Like I'm out. <laughs> this thing is scary. Right. And it's not, <laughs> it's not. So it's just like some, some person real, the crazy thing, the most scary thing about that snake is it can spit up to three feet. It was either three <laughs> feet or three meters. So that's yeah. like three to nine feet, essentially. Um, yeah. So, so within that range, like it can spit and then like it does <laughs> tissue damage. I yep. want no part of a spitting snake, right? I can <laughs> probably outrun a slithering snake. I don't know that I can outrun a spitting snake, right? Yeah. So yeah. thankfully it's not native to North Kakalaki. Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't caught it yet, right? <laughs> but it's also like, in, dude, it would have to travel a long way to get to where I live. Yeah. Okay. A long way. So... So stay away from Raleigh right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, but we're not too far from Raleigh. I mean, we live depending on what part of Raleigh, you know, because there's the Beltway and whatnot. Right. So, like the outskirts of Raleigh, I can be there 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's it's nice. I I like living where we live. I love the community that we live in, and it's kind of like our community is in a huge transition period between like, you know, very uh very rural to now becoming 
not really a suburb because it's not built up like a suburb, at least from what I'm familiar with. Maybe somebody else would classify it as a suburb. But to me, it's just like a, a bedroom community in a rural setting, but like with lots of sub subdivisions and whatnot, it's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting community. So yeah. Um, yeah, but that's not what we're supposed to talk about today. No, not at all. Uh, but this, I, this has been an interesting conversation. One thing we do need to debrief was about last week's Bible and banter. Oh uh, man. I know you got some, you got to like debrief about it in real time towards the end. Um, that was a torturous but, episode. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want everybody to know um, that the number of times that Luke has left us alone to do this thing far outweighs the number of times that he has had to do anything alone uh, on, on Bible banter. 100%. So, so when we talk about commitment, uh, uh, we just want you to know there's a lot that goes behind on, in the background. Oh yeah, uh, that, I mean that, we don't we, we don't want to throw uh, anybody under the under the bus, but that's literally what we're doing right now. We're throwing Luke under the bus. Absolutely, he he yeah. was throwing us hardcore, yeah, uh, under the bus uh, because and he's on vacation this week. Yeah, for the he's for the on one- vacation this week, and I said a month ago I would not be able to do the show on the last Tuesday of June because of my mother's funeral, and all of a sudden, <laughs> guess what? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Um, so. <laughs> So, where's your commitment, Luke? You're on vacation. I showed up on vacation before. Man. <laughs> well, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But we do love Luke, and we understand that circumstances arise. We mostly but at, the, <laughs> but at the same time, not as all as it is claimed to be. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, which brings us to our topic today, because the interesting thing, it, because I don't think, okay, no knock on Luke. All right. Like joking aside, no knock on Luke. He could not care less about today's topic. Like he, <laughs> like literally in, on his list of top 1000 cares, this isn't, this doesn't broach. It's nowhere near. Right. Like, I don't think he cares about denominational structures. Uh, I do care like I, because I, I have been in structures my entire life, you know, being in the military and now, now in the church world, like, and I think I've observed a lot and I've really tried to sit back and, and learn quite a bit. Um, and in training my entire adult life, my life has been about training. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, and, and, Luke, uh, I don't think, I I just don't think Luke cares about those things all that much, which is no knock on Luke. Um, Mm. He has other things to care about. So, right. And I'm in the middle. I I see their value, but I don't necessarily care about them as deeply as you do. Yeah. So I feel like we have the, like the cold, warm, Luke, warm, warm. Does that make, so does that make the audience Goldilocks in, in this, uh, you get to choose (laughs) in this, uh, instance. So, so So I'm the, I'm the one that Jesus spits out of his mouth in revelation. (laughs) Cause I'm right there in the middle. I'm neither hot nor cold towards it. So that's the, that's the, that's the reality of my life. I'm the one spit out. So (laughs) no one has a real taste for me. (laughs) As we talk about, as we talk about these things, right. Because inevitably this comes to cooperation, how, and how we work together. So, um, 
we need people who are driving forces behind stuff that get really excited about certain things. And that's great. We need some other people who are kind of in the middle. Um, and then we need other people that care about other things. Like what it, you have to ask yourself and for your church, like, what do you, what do you genuinely care about? Right. Um, in some churches, like aren't going to care so much about um, like, like maybe they don't give t- so much to X fund, but they give a ton to penny crusade, right? Because mm-hmm. they are just super passionate about foreign missions. Praise the Lord, man. We need mm-hmm. those churches that care, you know, like that's their go, like that's their thing mm-hmm. for, um, for me, I have a lot of interests. Um, I, I have a lot of different stuff. So what, what is it that like you're super passionate about? Like, outside the gospel of course but in the local church but like Mm. is there a certain thing along those lines that like you just care very deeply about i would say solid i would say solid biblical teaching in the in the church Mm -hmm. um and not sacrificing that for anything uh, you know, for example, back during one of the many rough patches here at Blessed Hope Church, um, <laughs> we were having a, a little bit of a kerfuffle over leadership, you know, and some people were giving me books on John Maxwell leadership, this, that, and the other thing, which I think have some value. Uh, but I was told by one of these people, one individual, that I need to spend less time on my sermons and more time on uh on leadership, reading about leadership or this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I, and I actually came back, I was like, actually, if I'm honest, I think I should be spending more time, uh, preparing from God's word, uh, Mm -hmm. because I, I really believe, and this kind of gets back to pastoral education and training. I really believe that, and I was actually just thinking about this this morning. That's kind of funny. I was just thinking about my schedule and how, you know, summers kind of ease up a bit in many ways. I don't have, you know, we take a break from some things ministry-wise to give people a rest. And so I don't have to do as much preparation for like a small group, for Sunday school, this, that, and the other thing. I really believe, and I've tried to share this with my people, that college and seminary did not teach me everything about the Bible. Mm -hmm. What it did was equip me how to think critically and study the Bible so that when I get into the ministry, I'm able to expand my knowledge of the scriptures more so. So when someone says, hey, why don't you teach a class or something on church history or church, teach it on Romans or, or whatever, it's not that I'm just going to go back and say, well, I learned all this in seminary. No, what it's going to do is I'm going to go to the office and prepare for that mm-hmm. one hour, like five four or five hours for a Sunday school class, if not more. A minimum, yeah. A minimum to teach one hour's worth of small group or Sunday school. Yeah, Um, people have to understand. Like, if you want the pastor to – and you're talking – listen, if we had – I would love it if we had four or five services throughout the week, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if we – you know, back during the Reformation, you had – um, you know, Calvin would preach uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and he would preach like it was either a morning or evening message throughout the week. And I would love to do something like that if that mm-hmm. was my only job, right? Like if that if that was all I was responsible for was the preaching of God's word 
and there were and and I occasionally met with people, but primarily there were other folks who would who would do the pastoral care stuff. Dude, I'd I'd be all about it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But um, that's not what we're called to. We're called to be more generalists, right? So every time we have to, we have, we're tagged to do something, which obviously, you know, we're usually the ones that tag ourselves or offer to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Then you're, you're asking that pastor to spend essentially five to 10 hours in prep, right? Mm -hmm. Because what, what college and seminary do for you and I and for pastors is give us tools for the tool belt. Um, but we still have to do the construction when we are in the ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so right now I'm in the midst of doing a study that's on my go, the book go, the first book I, I wrote um, that because I, because it's so short and it's mostly practical, I, it takes me a couple hours, just two hours to prepare yeah. Um, and, and that two hours is mostly like thinking deeply through this and going, okay, mm-hmm. how might this apply to the people in my, that are, that are showing up and then like adding some additional questions and whatnot. But that took me, you know, um, probably a hundred, 150 hours to, mm-hmm. to put into a few years ago, um, and design a curriculum for it that also was probably mm-hmm. somewhere between a dozen and 20 hours. So mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. Now, if you're talking about a study in Romans or say creation or or something like that, well, let's just use um, Genesis Genesis one and two. Like you're going to do a study on um, the creation of all things. That's pro- if you're going to do it well, you're probably talking somewhere around a hundred hours of prep, right? Mm-hmm. And and for a series because you're going to want to engage with with um, geological. Um, geological studies and and things that you're not overly familiar with. So it's going to take you even more time and discuss different arguments, six day literal creation versus, you know, old earth, young earth, um, evolutionary theory, all these kinds of things. So it's going to take a a lot, right? And that's going to be even harder if you don't have that pastoral training from, um, from seminary in college, because, your tools aren't going to be as sharp, right? You're, you're, you're going to have, you might have an ax in your hand, but it hasn't been sharpened in a while. Right. You have, you know. Yeah. And this kind of gets into, you know, even what do, you know, there's, there's the old adage joke, like pastors work one day a week. Right. Okay. That's the only, that might be only what you see, but the, what I think churches and church boards need to remember about a pastor's schedule. If you, if you expect your pastor to do this certain thing and do it well, whether it's preaching, visitation, counseling, or whatever, anything that you add to his responsibilities takes time away from that. So Mm -hmm. for example, while your pastor is researching quotes for your building project or, you know, in all of this, that means he's not spending time in prayer for you. That means he's not able to spend time reading the script, studying the scriptures. That means he doesn't have time to be calling you or visiting you or this, that, and the other thing. And Mm -hmm. so, a church needs to remember that if you expect a pastor to be putting his time into a certain area, then you need to make sure that other things that you're expecting of him or that need to be done are being done by other people as well. And sometimes that's a pastor to also advocate saying, listen, 
Uh, I don't need to be doing this. Someone else needs to be doing it. I don't have to be the, le- I don't have to be the guy researching the cost of this, the cost of that. Mm-hmm. Someone else can do that. Someone else can be the kind of the final say on that and be empowered to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it's not one of those things where a pastor can just, op- I mean, a pastor could potentially just open the Bible and preach or teach whatever the spirit wills, but that's could be also negligent, you know? So, so here's, and, and yeah. I've heard people talk about like, oh, listen, I just, I know what pastors I'm preaching on, but I just open up my Bible and preach straight from there with like zero preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, that scares, that scares me, right? Because, um, the spirit works in the midst of preparation, mm-hmm. right? In preparation for whether you're preaching or you're teaching a Bible study, whatever that might be. Um, let's face it. You're not going to be as familiar with every passage of the Bible equally. So like right. for me, at least personally, my one of my favorite books in the Bible is Acts. And I read Acts multiple times throughout a year because I find it deeply encouraging and and instructive in a lot of ways. So if you asked me, hey, can you teach this? Like you got uh, 90 minutes, right? Like in 90 minutes, there's going to be a class. I fell out. I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital. Can you teach this for me real quick? I'm going to feel more comfortable doing that in Acts than I would in Zechariah. Um, <laughs> that's just that's just where I'm at. So, so if someone's preparing something on a regular basis and they aren't digging into, um, like, how is this passage? How is this passage structured? Right. So, so what's the historical context? What's the cultural context? Um, what themes are present here that are present in other parts of the same book? What is the literary structure? Um, I love this term, right. In, in, it recently was brought to mind in a hermeneutics class I was taking is that when we talk about um, taking the Bible literally or reading it literally, we're also talking about reading it and taking it literarily. Right. So, so which means you take the Bible literally in that it's in its literary context, uh, Mm -hmm. which includes grammar, historical and cultural context. So, you have to understand those things. But if you just pop open your Bible and turn to a passage that you're not overly familiar with, you're going to um, you're really going to struggle to 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 offer up the meat of God's word to his people in a way that is um, uh, 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 faithful to the original meaning. Mm-hmm. So to, 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 to really see the original meaning in a text, it takes hours of research. It takes hours of wrestling with the text and wrestling, it, wrestling with it for yourself. The greatest um, advice I ever received was never preach a sermon that hasn't affected you. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and just don't. And I've actually done that before where like, I just, I was with a text and I, and I just, it didn't get like, I, I, I had trouble like relating to it personally so I put that aside, preached like a one-off sermon, and then went back to it um, because I needed more time in that in that text. So um, that, yeah. So I think that points us. So let's talk a little bit about pastoral education, right? So do you think that there's like a certain way that pastors should be trained, in either a methodology or a one-size-fits-all? Um, I'm interested because you're also the the board 
Uh, what, what's your title? Director of I'm, the board? Uh, I'm chairman of the board of Berkshire Christian College. So, so obviously for you, education is, is kind of important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, so give me your insight, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, board guy. Um, I don't, I think, yeah, I, I struggle with saying one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are many ways to skin a cat when it comes to education and training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you look at the, the disciples and I mean, the, the danger is often in scripture when we take descriptive narrative as prescriptive, you need to do it this way. So if we take the way that Jesus trained the apostles, then we're mm-hmm. all doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. We're all doing it wrong. I mean, it means that we we should be as pastors finding 12, 12 and a half. Let's say at best, Judas Iscariot was half committed. Wouldn't um, that be 11 and a half? 11 and a half. Yes, I'm sorry. See, I'm, sorry. I, I'm not a math guy. Uh, that's why <laughs> when, when I'm invited to budget discussions, I'm like, dudes, you got the wrong, got the wrong guy making decisions. Yeah, I, love, I love budget discussions. Yeah, I'm just I'm the opposite now, especially when things don't always add up. But anyway, um, you know, if we're going to take that as prescriptive, what Jesus did, rather than you know tidbits of wisdom on what to do, then we should have eleven, twelve guys living, eating, sleeping with us for three years, um, and then they might be ready, and then they might be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is you know uh what i what i get from that is when you're when you're training somebody is you lead by knowledge and example mm-hmm. um you know church based theological education i think gets the closest to that um but at the same time considering how the west does church and life and occupation that's not always the right thing. So I think there's some place for uh, going away to college, going away to seminary. And some people in their learning styles and abilities thrive better in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, some people need and best are fit for that. Uh, what I think overall is the right way to do it is make sure it's rigorous enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you're not just focusing on like one guy's teaching, you know, for the whole thing. And, you know, even if, even if that one guy is pulling out lots of different source materials, um, you know, I think that's an unwise thing to do. I think, you know, I think the original intention of universities, unity in, in the midst of diversity should be, should really be what we try to do within the church is, mm-hmm. you know, a plethora of understanding and knowledge and touch points mm-hmm. to help us discern what the true reality is. And whether that has, happens in the context of a church, you know, or facilitated by an umbrella, because I would say MTI is to some degree church-based um, where you don't have to be in a one church. You can be in multiple churches and, you know, part of a, a larger group. But you must be connected to the church. But you must be connected the to the church. Which is downside of seminary and Bible college, which you exactly. don't have to be part of a church. And in somewhat that's true, somewhat that's false. It's, it depends on how easy seminaries and colleges make it to skirt that. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Gordon Conwell has mentored ministry. 
which you're supposed to be serving in a church, but there are ways to kind of give that lip service, mm -hmm. um, especially depending on how serious the mentor you find takes it and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but at the same time, I would say it's very difficult unless you're a large church with former seminary teachers or this, that, the other thing for a church to get as rigorous of a training as a seminary or college would provide. That's well, going to be difficult. And, it, and it's because you have the specialists, um, subject matter experts and like true subject matter experts who are doing continual research in a specific area. Right. So you have old Testament profs who are wrestling deeply with, let's just say creationism. Right. So that they are, they are, um, they are learning geology. They are like, they might not be a geologist, but they are learning um, greater than just lay level understanding of geological concepts that, that, and, and how to interact with those in say, and how does that fit within what we understand in, in Genesis one? So, you know, you have, you have these folks, um, Hebrew and Greek scholars who, you know, a pastor might get an MDiv or, or a degree in languages and they, they're not going to use them at the same level that say a Hebrew or Greek scholar who sits at the seminary, who is spending, you know, 20 hours a week, just try, just reading the original languages and, and balancing those. And like, not just reading Greek and Hebrew from the Bible, but reading contemporary resources. So other writings of the same time period so that they can have a better grasp on the language. Your mm -hmm. ordinary pastor is not doing that, right? But your ordinary pastor is going to go to those scholars and try and hear their insights as to, um, to, to glean what they're saying there so that they can, as they prepare for a sermon or even just provide an apologetic for certain things, um, in their local congregation, they're going to engage with these profs and they might ha develop personal relationships with some that they go to seminary with and learned under. So you're, you're dealing, like you said, even if someone's pulling from a bunch of resources, it's good to study under multiple people rather than just one person. Um, because I think of the special specialization, um, a lot of people don't have a full appreciation that so there are so many specializations under the purview of theological education, biblical education. There's yeah. so much to learn and you can spend an entire lifetime and only learn just a, a small drop, which is in my view. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think pastoral education is incredibly important. Um, in I'm grateful because down here in the Southern region, um, I know the, the Eastern region just established a scholarship, but from my understanding can only be used for um, the Antioch school or, or the build program. But down here in the Southern region, um, they offer a very generous scholarship um, for, for pastors and leaders. Um, my church does the same thing. They're very gracious with, with Matt and I, um, you know, of course, Berkshire offers the 50% scholarship through Gordon Conwell um, but Gordon Conwell's an expensive school, right? So you still yeah, have even to with that, even with the 50%, Gordon Conwell's a, a pricey degree. Yeah. Um, but you know, but you know, and, and even in the Eastern region and even a lot of conferences do have 
maybe some other scholarships to get you to where you need to help you get to where you need to go. This, I, from my very limited understanding about this Eastern region one, this is, this is how the Eastern region and its leadership have chosen to tackle leadership development in the Eastern region by trying to make um, Antioch school, which is already pretty affordable, even more affordable by de developing a, uh, a, a, uh, a scholarship specific for those enrolling in. I think there might be other monies available for uh, yeah. other other adventures, but um, but even Berkshire Christian College, we we have uh, to to some limited degree even scholarship money inside our own house to help you uh, receive uh, our own training to a degree. Because the one thing about Berkshire is the the, the finances are tough because of uh, just past things that we're still trying to sort out. Um, but, uh, and, and as Nathaniel, you know, having more of an inside scoop, that leadership fund is still up in the air. Um, and, you so, know, and one thing, one thing, Mike, that I just want to touch on, yeah. the, uh, um, there, there are people who probably watch this program, pastor friends that I have that, um, don't have, like I was in pastoral ministry, you know, as an, as an associate pastor, as a youth pastor, before I finished my bachelor's degree, um, literally just started my last class for my master's degree. And I'm looking at a couple of different doctorate programs after that. I think education is incredibly important, mm -hmm. but I also have friends who, um, just based on life experience, based on wherever they found themselves, they've essentially had to rely on a lot of self-learning and learning from others and not being able to um, go to formal education. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who of course is, is, you know, he, he's a different cat, right? Like he, like we're not Spurge, but um, he was someone who didn't have formal education and then, you know, became one of the most influential preachers of the 19th century. And even moving, he's still very influential today and established a, pastor a bible college to train pastors um so that's that's incredibly important even to someone who did not have a, um, a strong theological education but was largely self-taught so to, for me at least here's here's one of the reasons why i think pastoral education is more important today than it's ever been is that our population here in the united states is increasingly educated Right. And they're educated in fields that um, that can be difficult to understand. Right. So if you have pastors who have not engaged in a scholarly conversation before um, and, and we need pastors to be able to engage scholars, but also um, that should not get in the way of them of them engaging with their people. Right. So you don't need to have that scholarly conversation with the folks in your in the pew, but you need to have those those scholarly conversations with your peers or people who are, are in these um, fields so that you can understand so that when people ask deep questions, um, even if you don't have the answer, you can it, you can find find the answer. You can discover the answer. You can engage with people that might have answers and not just take, um, I'll give you a perfect example. One of the, one of the biggest, um, uh, most divisive conversations that the church is having right now is over critical race theory mm -hmm. and intersectionality. I'm not an expert in that. It sounds from my understanding, more of a sociological framework and a legal framework. I'm not a lawyer. 
nor am I a sociologist. Uh, however, I'm willing to listen to these folks, not necessarily um, buying everything that they have to say, but respecting the work that they're doing in a specific field. People, I can have scholarly conversations with some of the folks who are engaging with this stuff with the understanding that I have and try to sift through, well, this is objective, this is subjective, and and what of this what of this has merit and what of this doesn't, right? Um, if if you don't have the background in, in in being able to sift through those types of conversations, even in the Bible scholarship realm, mm-hmm. then you're not gonna be able to have that in other realms either right so that's why i think it's incredibly important for our 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 pastors to um always be learning always engaging on what these conversations are being had within within the church and within um the culture and having that education uh lends you know gives you the tools to be able to have to have those conversations Mm -hmm. right so so we say all of this that that doesn't mean that you, I always think of goodwill hunting when we talk about education and, you know, you can get the same information, uh, you know, with late fees, you know, at the library. Mm-hmm. And to some degree that is true. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we do need some mentorship and guiding in mm-hmm. where to go and what are, you know, to how to think through these things and be challenged you know just like it's important for us to read our bible every day throughout the week but then come together to challenge one another and and discuss what we are reading the same thing goes for pastors as they are you know reading the bible and studying and to be challenged by other people that are thinking deeply at maybe a different level than even they are um, Luke, myself, and Mike Bassett <clears throat> meet on a regular basis with Luke going um, for theological conversations. And some of those things, man, I mean, it's so beneficial for us to have those conversations because what I've learned through that is that I might read a text a different way than somebody else. And then we have to like check one another. Okay, so are both of us right? Are both of us wrong? Is one of us right? Is one of us wrong? And it gives us the opportunity to have that conversation because what you're trying to do is get to the truth, engage mm-hmm. deeply about something. Um, and the same thing goes for reading the Bible. As we're reading the Bible, we should do it individually, but also collectively and, and engage with one another so that um, we can discover, oh, shoot, man, I've been reading this totally out of context. Mm-hmm. Um, that ain't good. Right. right. Um, so let me adjust. And, and mm-hmm. so we need, we need that kind of conversation. So education is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and again, that, this is why I don't necessarily think that there's a one size fits all, because I think that can happen outside of a seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it might take longer and, you know, it's just a slower reality and not all churches are equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that they're very, especially in the Advent Christian denomination. And I don't mean to be negative, but I find it difficult to believe, very hard to believe that we have a ton of Greek and Hebrew scholars within church contexts to teach adequately um, Greek and Hebrew, biblical Koine Greek and Hebrew, and even Aramaic. I didn't take Aramaic, but touched it a little bit in Hebrew courses and some of the uh, Old Testament courses that I uh, ran into. And um, mm-hmm. 
that isn't to say that we can't in some way introduce things, uh, you know, how to study and know Greek well enough to be able to handle a uh, concordance, uh, a commentary and everything like that. But to do a full-fledged um, Greek and Hebrew course, it, it's going to take a special church with special uh, professors. I, I mean, I look at, um, you know, Hope Church used to have Dr. Ely who taught Hebrew at mm-hmm. Berkshire when it was uh, in, at, uh, had a campus. You're not going to find a Dr. Ely in every single church. So, so, you know, in, in reality, Hope Church itself had with the closing of the campus of Berkshire had a glut of leftover, <laughs> leftover, you know, knowledge and professors to be able to lead these types of things. But not everybody, not most churches aren't going to be a Hope Church that mm-hmm. has the, this remnant of scholarly educated individuals. Um, well, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I think that's important um, is that, you know, obviously we have a, uh, a distinctive called conditional mortality, which is mm-hmm. not the popular understanding of what happens when people die. Right. Correct. So we have a very different view, which rubs up against a, a lot of institutions and, and a lot of other churches. People are, and I think rightfully so, skeptical of our denomination. And when you have a segment that's kind of anti-intellectual or at least doesn't value intellectualism, Mm -hmm. then I think that lends itself to, well, I just believe this because it's what has always been taught. Well, that's dumb, right? Like that, like if you only believe something simply because that's what it was taught to you, like you just grew up in it, then that's like saying you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. Right. Anyone who says that, I I I, I go, Ooh, that, right. I wouldn't have much confidence in that if I were you. Um, so so you have to engage critically in the languages, in the context. You got to know these passages that speak to, um, uh, you know, someone's going to that's advocating for eternal conscious torment. If they know the languages better than you, um, and, and they know the context better better than you then you're if you're just operating from a place where well this is just what i was taught you know one time in sunday school when i was eight years old and you haven't engaged with it deeply um one you're going to be persuaded or if you're open-minded you will be persuaded and i think we Mm -hmm. should be open-minded um but you're not gonna be able to give a defense for the faith which we're called to do Mm -hmm. uh you know, have a have a defense for the faith, but uh, that's generally. But I think more specifically, you should be able to give a reason why you believe something, anything, right? You believe this is right or that's wrong. Well, why? If your answer is just because, then I don't think you really believe what you believe. You just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually yeah. had this conversation with, I, I saw Glenn while I was up, uh, for my mom's funeral, uh, mm-hmm. uh Glenn Rice and we we're talking poor, about education. So, uh, poor Glenn. <laughs> um, that guy has so, to deal with enough that he has to also deal with your <laughs> rantings and ravings. Good grief. Uh, I, uh, I'll tell you what, man, there, there are a few people in the world that I love more than Glenn Rice. My family, <laughs> my family being one of them, but I love Glenn. But we're t- just talking about education in general, just having a good yep. conversation. The things that pastors 
you know, discuss when we get together. And, you know, I really think one of the best things that we could do is create a, a more general fund between that, that, that goes beyond the bounds of conferences and regions and establish a fund for higher education for pastors. So I, like, I, I want to see us have multiple PhDs, right? Like, and even if that just means we have a bunch of eggheads, that's great. As long as those nerds get together to hash out stuff, to discuss the issue, we need to progress in our Advent Christian theology. Mm-hmm. And we've, we haven't, right? We've, we've not, you see, you, you see streams of faith, whether it's Lutheran faith, Reformed faith, um, other Protestant faiths or whatnot, there's usually a progression where they go from infancy and grow into different stages of life where they where they end up with a firm foundation of this is this is what we believe and here's its implications. We don't have any of that. We're still right. we're still uh, newborn sucking on the teat. Um, and and we haven't really progressed to bottle feeding or solid food or anything like that. And we need, we need some scholars. We need some people getting together, writing theological, you know, scholarly articles, peer reviewed stuff so that we can hash out what, what our theology is, what its implications is. Um, and to bring that to bring that to the local church. I think that's, I think you're right because let's be honest over the past 40, how long has Berkshire been gone? Let's say, let's just round it to 40. Um, we've been running on the fumes of Berkshire. Um, you know, and, and we've been helped. And there's by, been hardly any scholarship since then, right? Right, right. And we've been helped to a degree by Bix and by what Berkshire has been able to offer in a limited limited scope uh, to, to, to a great degree. But you're right, we haven't had that scholarship. And quite frankly, I don't, I'm not quite sure how we get there um, with how bifurcated we are on multiple levels but also even thinking that it's important that is having scholarly consensus is really important. And, and that gets on that, you know, that horse you're trying to, to really get back up and going is how important is theological. And I would say theologically theological scholarly theological consensus mm-hmm. is how well, I, and I wrote an article it. about it recently, right. About um, it, which piggybacked off of, of Larkin's article, on theological, missiological, and in relational unity, um, we don't have anything, right? Like we have, we have some relational. We have it in pockets, right? So, like you, me, Luke, we kind of fit all three, um, but we're not really doing the missiological part, mm-hmm. um, and and we have other pockets of that as well. And I think that when you have all three, you can be most effective. And when you, the, the less you have in those areas, the less effective you're going to be. And you can just look at our denomination and see like we are a denomination founded on disunity. Like our unity is in disunity. And, and, and we've really, Bruce, oh my goodness, I forget his name, but he did this guy. Um, somebody might be reading. He, anyway, some papers got to me. And there was this study done probably 10 or 15 years ago about our denomination, statistics about our denomination, where we're at in all kinds of ways. And one of the conclusions that I drew from reading that was we've been in decline since about 1900. So we've been in decline for about 120 years. And 
in large part, it's because we're so disunity, dis, ununited, disunited, whatever, right? Like there's no unity, there's no direction. And we have people that are trying to do their best in a lot of areas. But one of the reasons why, where there is success, it's because they have the most unity. They're working with people with the most unity. Mm-hmm. So how do we get there? Um, I don't know the answer, but but we have to at least try. Yeah, I like what Mark is saying. You know, a lot of scholarship funds have to be, you know, consolidated. Um, and I would even be in favor of, you know, almost splitting that in half, you know, all the money that we can consolidate to go towards raising up future pastors. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. hugely important right now, but also have a portion of the, you know, the other 50% or let's say 75, 25, you know, 75 towards pastors and then take 25% of it and say, this money is to help you get your PhD. Mm-hmm. I, we need, we need PhDs. We, yeah, cause and, it costs and, money. And here's, here's the problem, right? All these other denominations and schools, you go to Wheaton Southeast, you go, you go to all these evangelical seminaries and they're going to pay you to go to their program. If you go there full time, you're going to be a TA somewhere. You're going to do this and that. So you, so now you've paid for your bachelor's and master's. Now they're going to pay you to, to do your PhD. We don't have that luxury because no one, it, no seminary is trying to hire Advent Christian um, um, seminary professors because of our distinctives. Fine. That's great. Um, maybe someday we'll have a, a, a more established Bible college. You, to have that Bible college, you need the PhDs, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you if you want Berkshire Christian College to be um, a thing again, you need to give money to PhD uh, people right. pursuing those 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 advanced degrees. And I'm going to um, say this, even though I've kind of said it in the past, and I don't say this to be mean by any stretch, but we mean PhD, not demons. Because they don't translate the same way into academia. Are you trying to, you trying to hurt my feelings? No, I'm, not, I'm, not at all. I'm fighting, not I'm, fighting, at all. I'm fighting whether or not I'm going for a PhD or a demon. So I'm not quite Well, sure. the, the reality is, you know, if you were to, let's say two candidates were to go to Gordon Conwell and they were to say, well, you've got, I've got a doctor of ministry and then you're going up against a guy with a PhD, they're, they're probably going to hire the PhD. 100%. Be- you're, not gonna it, get, yeah. you're not going to be a tenured professor at a at, at a seminary as a demon. You're going to be an, at best an adjunct. I had adjunct demon professors at Gordon Conwell, but they they most often taught with a another faculty member, so it was like a team effort, and that was more on the practical ministry side. Yeah. Um, and Mark's well, right. We we need more master's degrees, and that's not wrong. Well, in the eastern region, doesn't I mean at least at least the folks I know. It seemed like almost everybody had a master's degree or, or at least a lot of the people that I knew had a master's degree. I came down south. So when I was in the Eastern region, I was low man on the totem pole with, <laughs> with a bachelor's plus a few, plus a little bit of seminary, then came down south in the Southern region. And now I'm like towards the top when I compare like what other guys have for degrees, most of like most might have a Bible, you know, uh, they went to Berkshire and they're like, that's it. So there are some, there's obviously exceptions, but um, the disparity between theological education is astounding to me. Mm-hmm. Um, astounding. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that is, is by nature, a lot of pastors, you know, even for myself, I, di- I didn't go to, you know, Gordon Conwell because I wanted to continue on in education 
and get higher and higher degrees. I really honestly went the route to help get credibility to become a pastor, to be quite mm-hmm. honest, and to mm-hmm. wrestle with, do I really even want to be a pastor? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because I'll be honest, even after graduating seminary, I wasn't even quite sure. And let's be honest, some days, even today, whether or not I should be a pastor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, you know, I, I feel like at least in our circles, the creme de la creme was getting to the point where you could f- fill a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we haven't really thought beyond that for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's hard to combat when you don't have um, classrooms or places for future, you know, master's degrees or PhDs to function. Mm-hmm. You know, at best, we're going to find, we can ha- try to find you a place at a, at a non-denominational college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, isn't so the reason like the SBC Southern Baptist convention has so many scholars is because there's so many seminaries that they have. They, six. <laughs> they have six seminaries, all of which offer PhD. Uh, yeah. And to some degree, the Presbyterians are in the same boat, mm-hmm. you know, that they have ways, you know, they've got a revolving door to some degree of mm-hmm. we will find a place for you to, to mm-hmm. move into because we've got these established places, but, um, so, and that's not to get into why things w- have d- gone in that direction. I mean, there's lots of different ways, but the, the reality is, and I'm not throwing stones here because I have, I'm not an expert on this, but we, we don't have a history of managing things well. Can I make this point without being, in, uh, hopefully this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I, I was taught, maybe I'm wrong. But when I was in the army, I was taught that your ability to train soldiers um, was measured by how they perform when you were absent. And um, if you were a good leader, then when you were gone, there would be very few, if any, hiccups. Um, My goal as a pastor is if I died tomorrow, that um, my church would be able to just, uh, they would be able to operate without me, without skipping a beat. It seems that I, I know a lot of people look fondly um, at their time at either Aurora College or 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 Berkshire, and um, they speak fondly of the professors and of the school and their time there. But I wonder if most of that's just super idealistic because had they done well at training leaders, we wouldn't be uh, in nearly as dire a situation as we are now. Scholarship pretty much died with the professors at Berkshire Christian and in, in Aurora, that is not a good thing, right? Like that is Advent Christian scholarship died with them, which to me, they might've provided a great education, but they did not teach people to be leaders. Um, They did not teach people to be scholars and to take the mantle um, for Advent Christian scholarship in in the next century. And we're hurting. And I would maybe go a little bit more easier on the pastors because, you know, what often happened, pastors got out of college and they went to a small church where the pastor was solo and had to do everything. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult when you're having to mow the lawn, you know, clean the church, be at every single meeting, be at every single hospital visit, every single this, every single that, and 
train up your church, um, you know, intellectually or, or theologically or academically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I hate to say it, like, even I think of, uh, I got right off the top of my head, I think of a few pastors Lou going one of them and he taught at Bix for quite a while who could very well, who are very well theological pastors, high academic understanding of, of different things, but to ask them to both lead, you know, pastor a church and be, you know, raise up everybody's skull, that scholarly. And I think in, in a great degree, Lou was successful um, mm-hmm. in that. Um, just by the fact that they hired Nathaniel, who was top notch when it comes to theology and, and everything. So they put a high value on that. So kudos to, to Lou going, but Lou going could have been in a seminary. Mm-hmm. No, no joke. But the reality is, you know, we needed him more in the churches. Well, I, I think about that, you know, Lou, you know, obviously I have a personal relationship with Lou. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I would have liked to have seen more people on Lou's level. Right, where where he can where he can engage with others, others engage with him, mm-hmm. and then bring that scholarship down to the local church as well. And there have been some, there there have been yeah. some, and we and that's not to say that we don't have um, intellectual leaders in our denomination. We do, um, and Bickford being being one of them. Lou is now retired; he's one of them. There are some other folks like, um, so I. I I don't want to say that we don't have anyone um, and we probably have some that I don't even know about that you don't know about just because we haven't run into them. Right. We don't necessarily have a publication. So these, these things would be realized when you have scholarly journals, when you have scholarly publications, peer reviewed yeah. stuff where you have um, um, a seminary or a Bible college in which these people are gathered together to, to have these conversations Um so, uh, yeah, and and I think we're getting there. I think we will get there because I think a lot of people think similarly to you and I, or at least a lot of the younger folks do. And by younger, I mean people that um, aren't retiring in the next 10 years. Um, that's our new gauge for young, right? Like a young pastor now is probably 50 years old. <laughs> that's, that's the situation that we're in when, se- when 70% of our pastors are 60 or over. That's really bad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a tough place to be because I'll be honest. I think that there's been a lot of grassroots attempts to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I think I sent to you um, a website to old Thamalia, Thamalias forum, yes, yeah, stuff, yep. and that was a bunch of respected intellectual pastors trying to get something going, but it almost always seems that there's something that gets those movements off track. And I think at, at the top level is in general, we as a denomination can't agree on anything. Well, I think there's a lack of value, right? So, so I think about this, right? So um, there was a, I don't know, a position paper booklet. I don't know what you want to call it, but David um, a Dean. So David E Dean's son, wrote this for two triennials ago, 2016. Um, it was called uh, our uh, No Creed But the Bible, Our Only Hope or something like that. I, I forget the um, 
I remember taking issue with it and, and asked David about it. And he said, well, it's kind of a play on words from something previously written. But um, essentially, he takes aim at the Themelios guys, right? He takes aim mm-hmm. at, at some of those things. And David's a great guy, man. I, I, I really love him. And he agrees with a lot of those guys theologically, but just disagrees on on what things should be binding or whether or not anything should mm-hmm. be binding. Um, so, so that's the level of, of, of engagement. They weren't having, it does not seem like the Thamelias form was having engagement outside of that. Right. So, so I and think all, that can be discouraging for some people where, okay, we're writing this for the purpose of engagement. No one's engaging. No one values this. What's the point? Right. And it, it almost is defeated before it even starts. Mm-hmm. Why did God have to drown the innocent babies in the great flood? Oh, that gets, okay. That's off topic, but we could talk about that some week. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we could easily say no one's innocent. Uh, well, that's my so, initial thing. So is I don't even, the, I know. I don't accept the premise of your, of, of your of question, question, but yeah. anyway, so yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. I, I really get the sense that, because of the the disunity, even grassroots solid attempts at offering things almost die before they're even off the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure what the outside of the a massive move of the Holy Spirit, which I'm praying for regularly. Um, I don't know what the what the real time solution is to that. Well, you know, and <clears throat> I, I think this is why, and. And I think you've been privy to the conversations that I've been having with some other pastors, right? With um, th- there's a, a group of us that are trying to work more closely together based on our theological convictions. And one of the reasons why I want to do that is that we have these people scattered throughout our denomination, many of which are in the Eastern region, but many are, are elsewhere too. Um, that have a lot of good ideas that agree theologically, missiologically, and what we're missing is some of that relational unity, but we have some of it. And you go, okay, what do we care about? Well, we care about theological precision. We care about planting churches, replanting churches, and training up leaders. That's what we care about. Well, why aren't we doing it? Well, no one's really supporting this. No one, Mm -hmm. it it seems that... um, you know, we have money in the wrong places. Uh, we have no one leading the charge in the, or, or very few people leading the charge in the, in these areas because it's being drawn, drawn out by apathetic voices. Right. I think that's the biggest thing is that you have people there. They're interested in these things that have a passion for it like myself, but then you sit down and you hear the apathy in others and you go, well, oh, shoot, man, what's the point? I'm just going to focus on my local church. Well, that's not worked in the last hundred years. Um, we need right. to work more closely together with people that we that we most align with missiologically, theologically, and relationally, and move forward. Um, right. So, so I think our voices are being drowned out by by those who are apathetic, and I want to see that change. And and um, I, I'm I'm in the process of of working with others to to mm-hmm. to codify some of that in a more formal way when you think of because you, you mentioned you know you find these like mind let's say like-minded individuals a lot of them are in eastern region but there are others spread out 
just thinking of the names you know of off the top of your head, you don't don't mention any of them, but how many of them are transplants from the Eastern region? Maybe two. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. I would, I would, I would, I, I, I find that. that includes myself. Okay. Because I find that encouraging that this is happening and it's not just because people are leaving the Eastern region and bringing it elsewhere, but that people are, that this thought and desire is out there independent of, you know, the bully Eastern region. Outside of the unnamed thing that I'm talking about, yeah. um, there was another gathering that I coordinated of pastors that um, from the rest that we're trying to establish the restoration network south, mm-hmm. and which would include the southern region and the app region. And we had, <clears throat> I want to say we probably had eight guys, uh, eight pastors, and I was the only one <clears throat> from the eastern region. Uh, Mike Bassett was there, so so he hasn't been in the Eastern Region for a very long time, and I don't think he's ever pastored in the Eastern Region, but he grew up in in a Connecticut church. So, mm-hmm. um, so outside of us two, you had six or seven other guys who had a passion for the gospel, theological precision, um, caring about the same things that we're talking about now, and that was really eye opening for me because being in the Eastern region, I thought coming down here, I would be a lone wolf that I was the only guy who cared about this stuff. And that's just not the case. Um, it just seems as more prevalent among the younger pastors. Um, maybe it's because we grew up in an era that, that truth was always touted as subjective. And that's kind of been our denomination standpoint theologically is kind of like, um, a functional universalism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Th- theology is true. As long as you can attach a Bible verse to it. Yeah. Even if that Bible verse is out of context, and right. does, you know, it's almost like, if you um, can prove it, if bride, you... it's like the princess bride where, where he says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing in our denomination. Like, a lot of times I hear people say something and I go, I don't think that verse means what you think it means. And, um, and their response would simply be, well, that's your interpretation. What gives you the right to, to say that? I don't know the historical grammatical context of that passage. Um, and they can't even spell historical grammatical. Um, I'm sorry. That was, that was unkind, but nevertheless, we have this, we have a functional universalism, by the nature of our denomination. And there are those of us who actually like, we grew up in a world where we're in postmodernism, where everything was kind of up for grabs and we go, well, there has to be truth. I, I I'm, I'm yearning for some kind of truth and the truth is not subjective. There must be an objective truth out there. If there is a God, which we believe there is, then he must have objective, like something must be true. Um, and he gives us minds <laughs> that we can like, we have intellects where we can like learn something and navigate these truths. Um, we can't just throw everything, be like everything up in the air and go, well, how, how could you ever really know? Mm. Dude, if that's, if that's the hope that we're giving people, Hey, how could you ever know? We're not a Christian denomination. I stand right. by the remarks I've made before. You can be an Advent Christian and not be a Christian. And that has been that, I mean, that's been um, 
affirmed by others who are no like the non-credulous, the no creed but the Bible. Yeah, of course you don't need to believe in it's uh, really in Jesus to be an avid Christian. Like, why would you? You just have to. What's the rule of fellowship? Christian character, right? Christian character. And yeah. I remember Tim Tim Keller one time saying, he's like, you know, I've got my I've got my moral my Muslim neighbor who's probably a much more moral person than I am when you when you base things on just morality. Um, mm -hmm. and, it, and it makes me think because oftentimes people will say, well, people won't live by Christian character unless they're actually Christians. And I'm like, but these yes. are oftentimes and they're, 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 these are oftentimes Arminian minds saying this. And I'm like, well, that's kind of what that's actually what reformed guys say is like, you're not going to live Christianly unless the Holy Spirit, like they always accuse, uh, you know, reformed thought as, oh, you can just believe and then do whatever the heck you want because grace. And I'm like, no, what we believe is that the Holy Spirit actually transforms you. So you have a desire to live. You're just, but you're going to battle understanding what that means because we have got the old nature that we're, we're going to war with. And within uh, reformed thought, there's also the idea that people can do what are seemingly uh, in one sense, worldly good works um, without them being truly good works, meaning right. that they, they aren't redeemed. So right. that's well within reformed thought. Yeah. Um, there are, I have met more what the world would call good people. What I, what Christians would say, good people. I've met more of those people outside the church than inside the church. Mm -hmm. Um and that's just my experience. I'm not saying that that's that's anecdotally true from my understanding, but I'm not saying that's objectively true. Right. Um, so, so you can you can have all kinds of different morals and values, and and many of them are borrowed from um, the scriptures and the Christian faith. But that doesn't mean a hill of beans if you don't have Christ. There's going to be a lot of people who are destroyed in eternity, and they lived what we thought were moral in righteous lives on the outside, but truly they were never in Christ. So you can't, right. someone recently posted, um, I forget his name. His name is Dr. Svigel, S-V-I-G-E-L. I forget his first name. I follow him on, on the bird app. And he said, uh, <laughs> he said that you can't, um, non-Trinitarian religions don't worship the same God as as the Christian faith. And I thought, yes, yes, mm -hmm. that should pertain to us as well. But absolutely. No. So this is the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> um, we should probably, we should probably close up. We didn't really get to talk about denominational structures. Maybe we'll talk about that soon. Um, I can't stay on much longer. I got, I got stuff to do. What you? You only work one day a week. What else do you have to do? And I'm not preaching. This is the first time since I've been um, a senior pastor that I'm not preaching two weeks in a row. What? Yeah, Matt. Matt's preaching two weeks in a row. He wanted to. He 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 offered the suggestion of doing a, a sermon series in the summer on the Psalms. So we picked eight Psalms to to preach on. Taking a break because we just finished First and Second Samuel, and then um, so. I told him essentially, Hey, you can preach all the Psalms you want. You tell me which ones you want. Uh, Cause there's other projects I can be working on. So he preached this past Sunday cause I was out of town and he's preaching this Sunday. Um, you know, probably going to be a banger this weekend. Oh, of course. He, what, can we expect anything less? 
No. Greens of rice, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're like the holy grail of ministry. <laughs> they're, you know what they are? They are. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it was going to be. It was going to be too much flattery. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to flatter them too much. But, yeah. <laughs> so if a rice is listening, you can you can text me. I'll tell you what I was going to say. <laughs> Can you include me in that text? Because I really want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you once you get out of here. Okay. But, seriously, it was all flattery. It wasn't going to be a joke. Um, but yeah, hey, hey, talk. Listen, if, if these things interest you, talk to your conference, regional, and denominational leadership and be like, hey, how can, you, how can I, how can my church support theological education for leaders in our denomination? What can we do to support MTI, Berkshire Christian College? Um, how can, you know, if you... Listen, I bet if 500 people said, hey, I think theological education is incredibly important, and I think we should have a school for it. If 500 people were committed to that, that would happen. Um, but that's just not on the radar, right? Like like people aren't having those conversations. Um, maybe it's not needed. I think it is. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't have the, the momentum for that. We don't have right. the drive among people but if you uh, if you think like i do that scholarship is important um we definitely need a space for that in our in our denomination because we do have some scholarly minded folks but they they have nowhere to go um they have nowhere to go and and we're losing the benefit of the gifts that god has given them Mm yeah yep absolutely well till next week we gotta start recording some minisodes i know Um, so those should be coming hopefully soon, but some of that's going to depend on, on our schedules and, and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. Well, we're probably going to have to make a little mannequin or like dummy doll of Luke, you know, that we can control and pretend he's part of the conversation. For sure. We, we uh, do. Can you, can you mime? Not mime. What's the. Ventriloquist. Uh, ventriloquism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I can't, but we can figure it out. We, we, <laughs> maybe we, maybe we, we can get do- Jeff Benham on the show. <laughs> How much money do you think it would cost to get a uh, a Luke Ventriloquist doll? Thousands. Is it that much? I don't think anybody would want to take the time to try to represent. We should start a fund. <laughs> we should start a fund for that, and bring someone on who could mimic his voice. Yeah. Yeah. You could like the face could be off screen, right? You don't even yeah. have to like really ventriloquist. I don't even think we need to mimic it. I think we can just make him sound like Bill from like Saturday. Like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I love Doug Wilson. Whoa, Abraham Lincoln's the devil. Oh my! The worst thing I ever did was <laughs> was criticize. Luke for a take he had based on Doug Wilson, and then he dug even more into Doug Wilson, and he's fully into that world where I don't know if he'll ever come out again until he gets burned. Um, because well, all, I, all, all he has to do is jump in the the via the car that Doug Wilson burns every no quarter November as part of his uh, little marketing campaign to be able to say whatever he wants to say without qualification. That, Wait, he, he, it was either last year or the year before as part every November he does no quarter November where he just puts out blog posts and statements without any qualification you know he's just going to say what he wants to say uh, without any 
justification qualification. And he, to announce that it was either last year or the year before that he set a car on fire in his uh, commercial or whatever. Wait, I didn't Luke suggest in our group chat, he was going to do a no quarter November as well. And I talked him off that ledge or at least tried to. So no quarter November comes from, uh, from my blog and blog or whatever he calls it. Uh, Bickford. Yes. Luke is a Doug Wilson fanboy at this point in fully, like fully involved. Like I, like I think, I think he's, he might even now be doing it to spite us. I think (laughs) think there's part of that. I think he, he, he created a Doug Wilson, like body pillow and cuddles with it at night. That's, that's how entrenched he is in Doug Will's land right now. Scares me. Pray for Luke. (laughs) Pray for Luke. There are worse things, but at the same time, listen. There are certain things that Doug Wilson says and does, and and I that I affirm that I go, yeah, this guy's on target. Um, I like some of his humor, but dude, you got to be able to you got to be able to discern the insanity that also comes out of Moscow, Idaho. We should be just confirmed concerned about the fact that it's Moscow. <laughs> like just, just right there is like way to tick. What's coming? Like, <laughs> Although I do, I do. They have they have their own seminary called New Saint Andrews, yeah. and um, it's in Moscow, Idaho. And I get some of their their advertisements, which are videos on Facebook, and some of them are pretty funny. Oh, absolutely! They have some solid wit uh, mm-hmm. and and everything. But I mean, the fact that you just said they have their own seminary. And he has his own um, denomination. And, and like, even if you read his history about how he became a pastor, it was kind of this lone wolf trajectory, mm. um, and which, which right there concerns me. Um, we have a, a church even nearby here in Waterville, a couple towns over that is part of his denomination. Um, and, uh, but no, anything that comes lone wolf, I always kind of be like, all right, where, where, where are we coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, and then, well, what about Martin Luther? And I'm like, Martin Luther wasn't a lone wolf. He was part of, you know, he's well known as being kind of a guy that wrote the 95 thesis, but the things that he was pushing for came from a lot of directions at the sim at a similar time. Yeah. If you think Martin Luther was a lone wolf, you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, you're just uninformed, right? Right. Uh, Which is why you need to study church history, right? So, right. But anyway, and Nathaniel, you're right. If you would like to help us with that, we welcome the we welcome the help of the everyone should write Luke an email, one hundred percent, or text him. If you want Luke's cell phone number, hold on, let me get it. You can text no, pri- no. Let's not do. Let's not do that to him like this. No, but private, no, private message us, and we will nope. send it to you. Nope, it's right here. Okay, Luke. This I just Luke, want you to know, I'm not on board with this. But this I, I have no ability to mute Luke, Eric right now. I'm not. I'm not you in can, control. You can text Luke at um, two two four eight six seven five four zero nine. Are you sure it's not five three zero nine? Five three zero nine. 
Whatever. I don't, I don't know. I was just kidding. Oh, Nathaniel said you can just look at Luke's cell phone number. It's in the chat from last. <laughs> That's right. That's it is true. Okay. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I forgot. So this about is that. what I want you to do. Oh my goodness. He, he gave set it himself up. That's yep. True. So here we go. I'm gonna give it to you again. I wasn't really gonna give his phone number, but I'm gonna. Give <laughs> but it he now. did it to so, himself last week. I want you to write this phone. No, I don't want to do this because then he's then he might do the same thing to me, and I don't want people randomly texting me. Yeah. Never mind. No. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not. He, I'm not that. If you need it, you know where to find it. Yep. You can look at last week's episode. Go text him. Tell him that you're praying that he would um, ask Doug Wilson out of his heart. Th- that or just use better uh, critical thinking. Yes. Which not to be confused with cr- critical theory. Right. Because that's of the devil. Uh, <laughs> some will say. I'm, As I some will say. Uh, let's say this. I know more about Doug Wilson than I know about critical race theory. So I'm, I'm more confident speaking on that than the other. Same, same, same. Yeah. Um, Who is Doug Wilson? Don't, don't, don't worry about it. This is, an in, it. this is an in-house discussion that you're, you're kind of looking in on parents arguing. So just, don't, don't worry about it. The book about, listen, this guy is a Christian pastor. I have no doubt that he's a Christian, but they do kind of have his, their string kind of has a persecution complex, seemingly self-righteous in, in some ways. Um, but he just came out with a book called Ride Sally Ride, which is a book about sex robots like taking over the world. So that just... Yeah. Some of that's tongue-in-cheek. Tongue in, tongue in cheek, but... I never read the book. I... No, that that's the title of the book. That's the well. No, I'm I, I know, but I I can imagine he's he's obviously writing a title to gain, you know, some oh, 100%, readership. 100%. But you know, he's gonna he's gonna kind of twist that into what he thinks is truth. Yeah, I don't it, know that I would. Yeah, yeah. There, there's many, 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 many things higher on my list than to read that to refu- to kind of. Yeah, I don't find it's going to help me in many ways. I wonder if Luke has read the book. He probably he probably wrote the foreword. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! No, he probably did not. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he, he doesn't read. <laughs> not even he reads Doug Wilson though. He does in blogs. In, in blog form. Yeah, in blog form. Uh, pretty much, actually, it, it, Luke's live reading on Facebook comes from Doug Wilson. Him wanting to do No Quarter November. He's not just a fanboy now. He is in. He's becoming an imitator. Yeah. I mean, what's what's more, Doug Wilson, than you know, trashing your co-hosts and doing your own show involving online chess? Hmm. You know what? Maybe Doug Wilson has taken over his body. He's been he's been um, uh, um, possessed by Doug Wilson. That's not the. Oh, it's that. like it's like Lord of the Rings with like Saruman and the and the King of Rohan. Wow, wow! I love the reference. So yeah, yeah. So does that make Doug Wilson Saruman? Yes. Okay. The wrong white wizard. Right. And let's be honest, Doug Wilson likes all things white. <laughs> Too far? 
Was that too far? That's too, that's too far. Okay. All right, we we should go before we uh, before <laughs> before we offend you. God bless you guys. Take care. Thank you for joining us. We love you, and we will see you next week. Don't read any Doug Wilson.